All right, you have a good podcast. It's Friday. Yes, I've already taken off like two days this week. You may have noticed. Sorry about that, folks. I've uh, I have an opportunity to uh, make some dough. One of the listeners uh, presented me with a, a product that is uh, owned by them, and I can sell it and I can make thirty percent. And uh, I need to focus on that. I need to get some. I need to. I need to put some dough together. So, uh, anyways, funny things going on in the world. And I once heard, uh, I once heard a funny, uh, you know how pastors like to open up their, their sermons with a joke or two, usually two. Was, uh, jokingly said, hey, if you, you know, got the key here, man, I have the answer. You want to know how to be a good Christian? Don't sin. <laughs> but um Right? Like that kind of oversimplification. Don't sin. You know, the, the, the thing, I talk a lot of crap about, you know, modern day ministry. Which a lot of people will confuse very easily and very understandably to, you know, Christianity. Ministry and Christianity have, uh, uh, more times than not, are on two very different paths. Ministers. I have a hard time with a lot of ministers because I, when, you, when, you, when you have somebody up on a stage saying a bunch of things that sound really good, the, the problem with that as it applies to uh, making disciples, right? Because that's what we're called to do. We are called, in the word disciple, it means one who is disciplined in anything. You know, if you if you teach archery, if you teach auto mechanics, whatever, it's like you're teaching a discipline. Therefore, the learner is the disciple, and the uh, you know uh, the master or the teacher is the disciple maker. A disciple is one who is disciplined in a certain thing. So when it comes to ministers, the the problem is is like well. The thing is, is although you're you're saying a bunch of things that sound really good, you're saying a bunch of things that may even be uh, factually correct. They can be true. You may be up there dropping truth bombs. The problem is, is that uh, you're not actually talking with me. You're not explaining these things to me. You're not coming alongside my life. You know, so though your words may may be heavy and whatever, it's like, well, I, I, I can't, I can only receive it to a certain degree because I don't know you and you don't know me. And this is, this is the problem with uh, most of these people, you know, when you, when you, when you sit them down and you talk with them and try and say, well, hey, wait a minute, like I'm really struggling with this thing that you said. I don't know if I can receive that. More times than not, in my experience, that person is just going to say, well, you know, I don't have, I don't have time to get involved in your life, become your friend, and build that equity of, of trust to where when I say things to you, like you can, you know, feel free to argue back with me and bring up counterpoints and whatever and like have a normal friendship. And so there's a, there, there, it creates a vacuum of authority, right? 
If that person is up on the stage and they've got a microphone and their name is on the lease of the building that you're sitting in, for some reason that seems to translate into their minds as power and authority. And authority does not work that way. That's not what that's not how authority works. It's different though in different circles. That's why I'm making the distinction between ministry and other other areas of life. It's like, well, you know, if you're in the military, the military has a hierarchy of rank. Right? I think there's uh was there nine there's nine ranks until you get into the generals and then there's, you know, one star, two star, three star, four star, and then even a five star, of which there's only one at any given time. But the way that that hierarchy works is the authority is given to the person that, uh, you know, uh, higher on the ladder. And though there are some problems with that structure, it doesn't always work. I've seen, I've seen guys that, you know, I, I remember there was this one uh, gunnery sergeant. You can tell that this kid was just... Well, he's, he's not a kid, a gunnery sergeant is somebody who's, you know, been in the military for 16 years. Um, you know, they're very close to uh, being eligible for retirement and their, uh, you know, their pension or whatever. This person, I, I, I can see his face in my mind, I don't recall his name, but, you know, this, this was the kind of person that you could tell was pushed around in high school. He joined the Marine Corps and he was, you know, able-bodied enough to make it and he just sat around and, you know, just kept going through the motions and you know the more time you spend going through those motions you know the the more they they reward you with rank and this person had uh, become a gunnery sergeant he was he, you know he he wasn't a very bright guy you know thank god he was never he was never in a position where he you know was in you know commanded troops he just was given that rank that's a problem in that structure however in that structure, everybody's aware that that problem is there. And everybody abides by, well, I mean, if, if this gunny, who's kind of, kind of worthless, he's not, you know, he's, he's not like, he's never going to be a hero. He's never going to really do anything. But the thing is, is that he has the authority to tell anybody underneath him in rank what to do. And there's, there's structure in place to where if he starts barking out unlawful orders, that there's, there's, you know, things that people under him can do. So, like, it's built in. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And then there's a thing that happens on the battlefield where if, if it's unanimous, if everybody knows that the commander of the, of the whatever force you're on is a uh, is a piece of garbage and is making bad decisions and putting people's lives at risk. Well, there's a there's a there's a method on the battlefield to uh, uh, shall we say give that person an instant demotion. People don't talk about that. It's just kind of one of those uh, unspoken about things. In other areas, if you go to college, for example, you know if there's a lecturer. Uh, you don't have to, it's, it's not assumed that you have to believe what that person is telling you, but it is assumed that you do have to learn it, right? So if somebody comes in and they're talking about, uh, you know, teaching socialism or whatever, it's like, you don't have to believe that, but you do have to learn it. And I think in that case, it is a good idea to learn it. You should, you should know what socialists think, why they think it. 
you should be able to point out the inconsistencies. You know what I mean? So that in the future, when some idiot like AOC comes to you and says, well, I just want everything to be free. You say, okay, well, so do I. I wish everything was free too. I wish for peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Because there's this factor and that factor and there's human nature and there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that. And if you, you know, if you know what the argument is by listening to the people who you would have argued with, like a professor who's teaching socialism, like you should learn from that guy or girl. You should learn what they believe. It's called Knowing Your Enemy. It's in The Art of War by Ching Chong Chang. Right? You should know your enemy. And, you're, and you should be known of by your enemy. You should, you should be able to articulate your thoughts. And there's... Uh, you can tell when, when people are making their point. There's, there's one of three positions that, that any of us can take in communication. It's kind of a, a three-way binary, if you will. I don't listen to people who speak with arrogance, which is one, or fear, which is two. Right? Those are those are the two most common positions that people speak from, fear or arrogance. Like Eric Swalwell of California, when he talks about, oh yeah, I, I, I'm just going to make it so that people have to turn in their guns. And of course not. Of course they won't be criminals if they don't turn in their guns. But if it's the law, then they're going to be breaking the law. And therefore, we will go and arrest them for breaking the law. It's like, well, that's, you know, he said that on Tucker Carlson. You might be scratching your head. Like if you saw that interview, you may have been watching that, scratching your head going, how does this guy have the stones to sit on Fox News and say that to the Fox News audience? And the answer is arrogance. I've said it before. Eric Swalwell has, has like the face that you would imagine a serial date rapist has. A college frat kid who likes to put Rufinol in, in women's drinks. That's what Eric Swalwell's face looks like to me. He looks like a weakling who uh, finds anything that he can to bully other people. And in this case, it's political power. Arrogance. It's like, no, I don't want I don't, I don't to hear what you have to say. Because now that I've seen the level of arrogance that you have, and you're just brazen contempt for our way of life, I don't, I don't want to listen to anything you have to say. And then there's fear, right? The position of fear. When people say things in a vacuum, right? How many times would you estimate that uh, Fox News or uh, reporters from Breitbart or, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro's staff? Remember, Ben Shapiro offered. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, $10,000 for her campaign. $10,000 is a lot of money if you're a bartender who, uh, who carries tacos to people's tables. $10,000 is a lot of money, and she snubbed it because she was being paid for by the Justice Democrats. She didn't need it. So they went to her and said, you don't need this money. We've got you. We've got George Soros' money. 
So she won't talk to Ben Shapiro, and she won't talk to Breitbart, and she won't talk to Fox News. She won't go on those shows. She will only go on shows where the narrative is already, you know, it's, everybody understands what's happening here. Don't worry. And yet she still, you know, figures out a way to trip over her own shoelaces. But it's fear. She doesn't want to talk about her her uh, uh, proposed policies because she's fearful. She, because she knows. Because her controllers, they know. And therefore, it's like, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You're fearful. And if you're fear- fearful, then you don't truly believe what you're selling. If you're afraid of it, if you're afraid of being shown that you're wrong, then somehow, inherently, you know that you are wrong. And that's the problem with arrogance as well. If you're so arrogant that that's, that's the power that you have to utilize to spit those words out, then it's, you're not, that's not confidence. It's arrogance. It has many of the same features. It looks very similar, but it's very different. Confidence, on the other hand, that's that's part three. Confidence. I'll talk to anybody who's confident. And I will listen to anybody who is confident. Even if I know that they're wrong. Even if I know that going into it, I'm not going to change my mind about it. Because a confident person is somebody who's generally well-versed. They've really thought about their position. And so you see guys like, um, and uh, is it Andrew Yang? The guy that's running for president? Is it Andrew? I want to say Andrew Yang. With the Yang gang. Andrew Yang is the guy that's, uh, he's uh, he wants to give everybody $1,000 a month. Right? Now... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you haven't heard from this guy, now listen, don't laugh. Don't laugh. All right? I'll tell you why. Andrew Yang just made, I believe it's his second appearance on the Tucker Carlson show. He's he's very comfortable in his own skin. Right? He's not he's not scared. He truly believes what what, you know, that he has the proper interpretation of all of the facts. Even when it comes to that thing about giving everybody $1,000. Now listen, before you laugh, remember, 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 remember in the Bush administration, the first one. I want to say the first one. One, two, three, four. Maybe it was the second term. Now, I'm pretty sure it was the first. You remember when George Bush gave everybody like $500? Remember that? Gave everybody in America like whatever, $500 or $250. I can't remember what it was, but he gave everybody a check. Do you remember that? So when Andrew Yang, I, I remember that. I can't remember. I, I want to say my check was like 500 bucks. Uh, and I was I was making like two grand a week back then, so I, I kind of scoffed at it. But when Andrew Yang talks about giving everybody a thousand dollars a month, it's it's not that far fetched, you know what I mean? I mean certainly that's a lot more money uh, and a lot more time. You know, George Bush did it one time, 
This guy's talking about doing it for everybody every month, twice as much. So it's it's nearly the same concept. It's not unprecedented. There is precedent. On the Republican side, George Bush did it. Although I voted for George Bush in the second term, sorry about that, everybody, I am not a fan of George Bush. Not anymore. I think he's evil. I think him and the, the rest of the Republican Party has, has uh, really lost its way, and there's just a handful of guys left. Not guys in a general sense. Trump's good. Trey Gowdy's good. Lindsey Graham, you know, a handful of other ones. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, the Republicans have really bought into the, to the, uh, the idea of, you know, the ruling class. And I, that makes me very uncomfortable. When Andrew Yang talks about his $1,000 a month and his other ideas, he is happy. Right? So the producers of the Tucker Carlson show... They call somebody who is running for president of the United States for the Democrats. The Democrats, I don't care who you are. If you're one of those 21 people running for president, you know that the Democratic Party is a mess right now. Where every Democrat in America is looking at the Democratic Party going, okay, wait a minute, hold on. This is not what I signed up for. Right. So you have to understand that like getting a call, if you're a Democrat running for president, you get a call from the producers of the Tucker Carlson show. If you see that on your caller ID, you best not answer it because there's only one reason they're going to be having you on and that's to embarrass you further. Right. Not Andrew Yang. He picks up that phone and says, oh. Uh, this this person that I have enjoyable conversations with wants to hang out with me again on national television where millions of people are going to see it. I'm there. Of course, I'll come talk about my ideas. Oh, but you don't understand. Tucker Carlson thinks you're a crackpot. That's cool. That's cool. You know, different strokes for different folks, baby. Takes all kinds to make the world go round. Maybe I am wrong. Who knows? Who knows? What are you saying? You got it all figured out? You don't have it all figured out? You want to know how I know that? Nobody has it all figured out. So he has the confidence to, to come on the show and sit down and talk. He was actually in studio that one time. Right? So to that, I say, dude, respect. I'm not going to vote for you because, uh, uh, well, there's, there's a number of reasons. But I like you. You seem like a pleasant fellow. You seem like a Democrat who has, has not completely lost their damn mind. I probably just, you know, I don't know what his stance on abortion is, but whatever it is, I probably disagree with it. Right? There's a, what's that one lady, Tulsi Gabbard? The, 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 the uh, military veteran. I think she was in the Air Force. And, uh... I think she's from Hawaii. 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 Boom, 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 boom. Da, 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 da. Right? She seems like a nice lady. Seems cool. Like, if, if the Democrats won in 2020, or if they won and win in 2024, if it's one of those two, I'll be like, mm, okay. All right, things aren't that bad. You know? 
<laughs> they seem like nice people. They seem like measured, reasoned people. All right? We may have very different views, but it's not going to be like, you know, you you watch these people. You're, you're watching this guy, uh, Jerry Nadler, who's a, just a complete piece of shit. And go back and look at pictures of that guy from the 90s and tell me that guy did not look exactly like Eric Cartman. Right, this guy, this guy, you know, it's like, well, you're fearful. You, you're telling, you're telling the attorney general that if he does not break the law, the established, very clear law, right? If you don't break the law, we're going to charge you with a crime. Say, like, well, then I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. Then, huh? Whatever. You know what I mean? When you see people that, that communicate like that, it's like, okay, well, you're weak. That's arrogance, what you're using there. That's weakness. Or you look over to the other side and you see, you know, the, the other side of that spectrum, if you will, and you say, no, well, that's fear. You won't have a conversation because you know. Somewhere down deep, you know. You're wrong. And if you have a conversation with somebody who's smart, you're going to be exposed. And so you have to hide in the shadows. So therefore, your position is nullified. I don't care what you have to say. I believe Andrew Yang is wrong. But respect, man. Respect. You're, you're happy to talk about it. You know? And you're not being arrogant. Like, when he goes on Tucker Carlson, he's not being arrogant. He's just saying, yeah, well, I think it ought to, you know, I think if we did this and we did that, I think it would work out pretty good. Who knows, though? It's all a crapshoot. Old date rapey Swalwell's out there just like, yeah, man, I'm going to make it illegal to have guns. Of course not. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to throw anybody in jail. Unless, of course, they break the law. In which case, yeah, I'm going to arrest them, you know? Like, just, man. Man, keep your daughters away from that, dude. Yikes. And this is the problem in... Ministry, you know, ministers have a tendency to, 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 they get infected by arrogance. They get affected by fear, you know. I hear, uh, I hear these statistics that, you know, like pastors, they get, uh, you know, they get all these emails now, this is a real thing. I'm going to talk about a real problem here for just a quick second. You see these, I see these posts with these statistics like, oh, you know, don't forget to pray for your pastors. When they show the, when they show the statistics, like, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Kind of like an evil villain laughter chuckle. <laughs> They talk about like, oh, these pastors, man, they, you know, 90% of them say that they suffer from depression and, you know, that, uh, you know, when they, you know, after they're done with their sermon, they go home and there's a flood of emails from their congregation that are disputing the points that they made in their sermon, you know, it's like, well, yeah, of course. It's because every pastor in America thinks that it's normal to have uh, a church with an attendance of more than, I don't know, 20 or 30 people. 
the idea of having a church with 20 or 30 people in it to an American pastor is absurd. There'd be no way to make any money. How could I be a minister and pay for my house and send my kids to college? There's 20 or 30 people here. There's, that's not enough people. Now, if I had 10,000 people, then the tithings and the gifts and whatever that would really be flowing in that I could really pay for some things, man. The reason these pastors, they get all these emails after the, 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 the sermon on Sunday is because they don't have, they don't, they're not in a family relationship with the people who are sitting in the pews. So when the pastor gets up there and says something that somebody's never heard before, or they, they've been taught something that is whatever the opposite of that is, and they're struggling with it, like, wait a minute, I've been taught my whole life this other thing that is in conflict with what you just said. Or I've never heard that before, and I don't think that that's correct. They don't have access to their own spiritual, quote, leader. Which is like a, that's, that's, that's a tragedy. It's a, it's almost an example of irony. Like you're a spiritual leader and yet you don't know your, you don't know the people that in, in, in your care. Jesus Christ only had 12 people. He had 12 people that he discipled personally. There were 70 people that kind of walked around behind him and, and just kind of tilted their ear in. We don't really know that much about how much communication he had with them, but we do know that Jesus personally discipled 12 people. So in my opinion, I don't think any church should be bigger than 12 people because if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ didn't do uh, discipleship on more than 12 people there might be a mathematical reason why and it might have something to do with logistic logistic ability you know so pastors get up there and they say all kinds of really there's a guy in San Diego he's super famous you, uh, you, you may have heard of him because he's got a you know a radio show and he owns a college huge college a huge seminary he said and he's he's a he's a, a great teacher you know he gets up there and he 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 teaches the uh i think he teaches the bible accurately correctly but the man himself like you know it, the, the way that he does his business, it's, it's completely like, I look at it and it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I would never submit myself to your teaching. You're taking advantage of people and it's clear. You're taking advantage of federal loopholes that give you money and it's clear and you do it right out in the open. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Now, there's a lot of people, a lot of people, thousands of people in San Diego that would say, well, Pete, that's just, how dare you say something like that? That's a man of God right there. He's a theologian. He's a professional academic when it comes to the Bible. And he rightly divides the word of God. How can you say that? It's like, well, because I don't have any access to him, number one. Number two, nobody does. 
And number three, he's getting all kinds of money from the federal government, and he's doing it right on. He's not trying. He's not hiding it. He doesn't. He doesn't see anything wrong with what he's doing. And he's doing it at the expense of putting our nation's youth into a debt that falls into the category of a of must be repaid, of which there's only three kinds: student loans, tax debt, and child support. A debt that must be repaid means you're a slave if you take this money. You will pay it back. There's no bankruptcy for you. You know? So even people that even people that talk straight. It's a difficult thing, man. It's a difficult thing. I don't know why I just started talking about that. I think I was thinking about that guy last night that was talking when Donald Trump was talking about the uh, drug prices thing. There was that man that got up there with his daughter and he was uh, a PhD of some sort. They referred to him as doctor and I, I, don't, I don't know what his PhD is in, but he's evidently a learned man. He gets up there and tells the story about how his daughter needed surgery on her back. And that the... Uh, you know, that she went in for one of her little follow-up after-surgery things. And the doctor said, oh, we need to get a urine sample. So she peed in a cup and handed it to him. And weeks later, they received a bill for that urine test. $17,000. I thought about that. Like, it's real easy to forget you know, that those are real people, those are things that actually happen. What if that was you? What if that was you? Just the day before yesterday, before Donald Trump changed that, changed the rules so that this kind of thing wouldn't happen. You get a $17,000 bill. You're now in debt. And what's worse is, you're $17,000 in the hole for something that costs uh, $20 or $100 at the uh, at uh, LabCorp, right? Everybody knows LabCorp, right? If you've ever had a job working, you've, you've been to LabCorp before. You had to go pee in the thing and send it off to LabCorp. Well, they charge $100 to employers, but the test itself, you could buy it at like CVS for like 20 bucks. LabCorp charges what they do because they're a nationwide company or whatever. But even at $100, it's it's a little bit outrageous. But, you know, it's LabCorp. Whatever. Good for you. You're making money. Yeah, I got a little money on you, kid. Good for you, LabCorp. Figured out a way to charge 100 bucks. Well, this hospital... I don't say good for you because you figured out a way to screw people out of $17,000. You think that guy that was on TV, you think that guy was the, that's the, the only time it's ever happened? It's not the only time it's ever happened. It happens all the time. And then what do you do? What do you do? Seven, you owe $17,000, says the hospital. What are you going to do? You're going to hire an attorney? Hmm? Don't you think you're going to do that at $400 an hour? That's what a good attorney costs. It's $400 an hour. 
How many hours do you think it would take for that attorney to, to uh, research precedent, find other cases that this has happened to, dig into the law, find out what's going on here? Then, uh, you know, approach the company, you know, approach the medical organization and, and uh, try to negotiate down to $100. How many hours do you think something like that takes? Or then to have that same attorney go to your congressman, go to the, go to the state senate, go to Washington, D.C. How much, you know, how, how, how quick, how quick till you're at $17,000? Well, I'll tell you. Pretty simple. It's uh, 38, a little over 38. <laughs> right? If it was $500 an hour, I said four, but at $500 an hour, it's 38 hours. That's $17,000. You know what I mean? So what do you do? You're powerless. You're not going to hire an attorney. And you're not going to do the work yourself. It's too difficult. It's too difficult. What are you going to do? You're going to write your congressman? Think he's going to write you back? You're going to give him a scenario where he, you know, he's he 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 doesn't know himself and plus he's probably he's probably having his palms greased by big pharma. See, it's that kind of thing, the breakdown in the in the American culture. It's that kind of breakdown that's going to that's going to cause violence. Because it's that sort of thing where all of a sudden a bill comes in your mail that you're expected to pay and it's $17,000. You don't, you don't have $17,000. You don't have $17,000. And furthermore, that's robbery and it's that sort of thing. It's that kind of thing that causes violence. Unless somebody gets in there and changes it. So here comes Donald Trump. Says, you know what? This right here, this is some bullshit. It's like the it's like the uh, the um, slum lords back in the day. Which, by the way, recently in American history, slum lords they would buy like an apartment building. They would just rent out these spaces to to families and whatever. And these buildings would have rats in them and mold, black mold growing in the walls. The plumbing was broken. There was no electricity. And the slumlords would just say, hey, if you don't like it, go find another apartment. But for working class families, it's like, dude, I can't just get up and move. Furthermore, the, the, the place down the street's the exact same way and it's owned by you. And there was no place for people to go. So finally, there, there, there came, came about some laws. So, hey, you can't do that anymore. If you rent apartments, you have to have, you have, to have some standards. There's some rules that you're going to have to abide by. And that's what Donald Trump fixed yesterday. The medical industry is turning into slumlords. Like, look, man, you had this this good thing, and what? And how did that all get caused, anyways? Like, why 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 is it that the medical community turned into this monster? 
Could it be because there's a flood of people who do not belong in our country that are using the emergency room as their primary care? And they have absolutely no motivation whatsoever to use discretion. Oh, my little baby's got a sneeze. We better go to the emergency room. Because after all, these Americans, man, they're rich. They'll pay for it. They'll pay for it gladly. And if anybody bitches about paying for it, the liberals will go and try to shame that person. Well, now you have, you have 20 million people using the, the emergency medical services, which have to be paid for. But those people don't pay. They just expect that money just magically is going to appear and the debt will be satisfied. Well, no. Now the medical community is saying, well, we're, we're, we're taking it in the shorts. We need to charge somebody. Oh, here's this stupid bastard that's got a doctor after his name, so he must be rich. Let's send him a $17,000 bill. Donald Trump fixed that. And Donald Trump fixed the employment situation. And the thing with China... And manufacturing is coming back to America. So listen, as we as we move forward and we hear, you know, like Donald Trump Jr. got got subpoenaed to, to go testify before Congress again by a Republican senator. We see these people like Paul Ryan, John McCain, these kind of people. We see these people. We can see now. Some of them are speaking from arrogance. Some of them are speaking from fear. Some of them are just speaking from just pure confidence. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to those people. Anyways, uh, I don't know what the point of any of that stuff was. Hey, anyways, I will, uh, I'll talk to you guys uh, probably Monday. See if I can record, uh, record another podcast for, uh, for Monday. Uh, but, uh, listen, I might be, I might be shorting it up. Who knows? Uh, that's the show for today. You all have a good week and happy Mother's Day, everybody. Later.